I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. I'd like to highlight some of the content from the March edition of the journal. I'd like to start by discussing an article on childhood meningitis in the conjugate vaccine era. This is a very important topic. The introduction of conjugate vaccines against Haemophilus influenza type B in 1992, Group C Neisseria meningitides in 1999, and Streptococcus pneumonia in 2006 in the UK has led to a very significant reduction in the incidence of bacterial meningitis beyond the neonatal period. In this issue, Sadarangani and colleagues report data from a prospective study across three hospitals. This was run over 12 months. All patients who had a lumbar puncture for suspected meningitis or as part of a septic screen were included. 70 out of 338 had meningitis, 13 bacterial, 26 viral and 29 with no pathogen identified. Bacterial pathogens were group B streptococcus in 5, streptococcus pneumonia in 4, E. coli in 2, Neisseria meningitides in 1 and Enterococcus in 1. Enterovirus was the most common viral pathogen seen in 20 cases. Cerebrospinal fluid, white cell count, and plasma C-reactive protein at all ages, and CSF protein in infants distinguished between bacterial and viral meningitis. This is important data. It highlights the need for up-to-date epidemiology of the clinical features, diagnostic testing, and etiology of childhood meningitis, with the potential to impact on thresholds for testing and antibiotic usage long-term. The authors highlight the need to improve diagnostic testing for non-bacterial meningitis as part of the strategy to potentially reduce antibiotic usage and hospital stay. The second article I'd like to highlight had quite a significant impact on my thinking. It relates to fear of oxygen therapy for children in Malawi and there are implications in this article for how we practice medicine in all countries at all developmental levels. Hypoxemia is a common finding in the acutely unwell child and correlates strongly with mortality. Oxygen is a standard treatment and considered to be an essential medicine by the World Health Organization which should be available in countries with limited resources in all areas where seriously ill patients are treated. In this issue, Stevenson and colleagues explore attitudes and beliefs that influence the acceptance or refusal of oxygen therapy for children in Malawi. Malawi has a population of 15 million and it's ranked 171st out of 187 UN Human Development Index. The study was by group and then in-depth individual interviews of healthcare staff. Key themes were identified. Past experiences of oxygen, direct or indirect, positive and negative, had the strongest influence. Recurrent themes were fear of oxygen often due to a perceived association between oxygen use and death. Fears were exacerbated by lack of familiarity with equipment and concern about cost. The authors conclude that healthcare staff need to be trained to assess and deal with these fears. 
and that through information, education and communication, public understanding needs to improve to increase uptake of this essential and life-saving therapy in Malawi. In essence, the challenges go beyond training in the assessment and management of the sick child and the provision of therapy to education and reassurance leading to acceptance of the treatment given. The third article I'd like to cover relates to hallucinations and delusions in migraine in children. Migraine is common in children and can be associated with a wide variety of symptoms, including hallucinations and delusions. A hallucination is a sensory perception in the absence of an external stimulus that is experienced as real. An illusion is a mistaken or false interpretation of a real sensory experience. In this issue, Smith and colleagues report a series of nine children referred to a child psychiatry unit over a 12-month period with unexplained hallucinations or illusions in whom serious psychiatric disorders had been excluded. This included illusions of size, time, colour, body shape and visual and auditory hallucinations. All also suffered headache and fulfilled diagnostic criteria for migraine. All had either a family history of migraine or a first-degree relative with severe headache with two parents having experienced perceptual distortions and illusions in association with episodes of headache. A number had illusions or hallucinations before the onset of the headache. In all, the illusions or hallucinations were temporarily associated with headaches occurring before, during or after an episode. Symptom duration was variable and in many illusions and hallucinations had not been mentioned at previous consultations. The authors highlight the association and that migraine is part of the differential of illusions and hallucinations in childhood. The authors discuss the wide differential of hallucinations in childhood, including features that are more suggestive of psychosis. The fourth article I'd like to cover relates to important data on childhood obesity. There is some evidence that overweight and obesity rates have started to plateau. In this issue, Jarsfeld and colleagues report data from 375 general practices. That's 370,000 children with 570,000 BMI records from between 1994 and 2013. The prevalence of overweight and obesity increased by 8.1% per year for the first decade, compared with 0.4% from 2004 to 2013. Trends were similar for boys and girls, but differed by age groups, with prevalence stabilising in 2004 to 2013 in the younger but not older age group, where rates continued to increase, albeit at a much slower rate. Despite this stabilisation of prevalence, the concern remains that more than a third of UK children are overweight or obese and that there's an urgent need to intervene. This is discussed in Julian Hamilton Shields' excellent editorial, Is the Childhood Obesity Crisis Over in England? The final article I'd like to cover, Editor's Choice This Month, relates to the management of severe 
acute malnutrition. Severe acute malnutrition accounts for at least 10% of all deaths among children under 5 years of age worldwide. Virtually all of them, not all, in low and middle income countries. In this edition, Tree Henan Manari, in a comprehensive review, discussed the definition and different types. Marasmus, Quashiorco, Marasmic Quashiorco. They discuss the epidemiology, assessment and practical management. Marasmus is diagnosed based on either a mid-upper arm circumference of less than 115 millimetres or a weight-for-height Z-score of more than three standard deviations below the mean. Quashiorco is characterised by edema. Marasmic Quashiorco is the most severe type with the highest mortality. Treatment is dependent on severity and the presence of complications. The authors discuss the importance of an appetite test prior to treatment and then phased management with careful monitoring, potentially as an outpatient, although as an inpatient in the most severe cases. The 10-step inpatient management protocol for severe acute malnutrition is discussed. This is published by the World Health Organization in 2003. It includes stabilization, then rehabilitation, correcting for hypoglycemia, hypothermia, dehydration, electrolyte disturbance and micronutrient deficiencies, treating infection and then cautious refeeding with initially a 75 kilocalorie per 100 ml and then a 100 kilocalorie per 100 ml feed. It's a very interesting and worthwhile article to read. Severe acute malnutrition can occur in any settings and the principles discussed in the article are applicable and relevant wherever you work. I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. I hope very much you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. Please refer to the journal website for more detail on the articles discussed. Thanks for listening.